Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Press it. This meeting is being live streamed. I got it. Chill. Do I well, consent? I guess I I'm can. only a minute late today. It's 10.31 a.m. on the West Coast. One thirty p.m. on the East Coast. What's up, fellas? It's good to see you again. It's good seeing you. I was saying the other day uh, on the Twitter machine that I kind of wish that I had a hype man. Like sometimes I'll listen to Migos, the rap group, and I'm really jealous of their hype man. So maybe I'll just hype you guys on this podcast. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. Like when you're, when you're like, I'm only one minute late, I'll be like, only one minute. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got going on I like other those. than a car accident and uh a wife's birthday. Yeah. There's, there's some uh there's some wild stuff going on in this market. There's some wild stuff going on in your in your personal life, BB, getting into uh getting into car accidents, getting rear ended. Yeah, it was not cool, plus, man. Plus getting rear ended in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've lost Bill. Ah Jesus. He's so offended, he's jumped out. <laughs> it's our crack technology. Um, while we're waiting for him to rejoin, do you want to tell us what your topic is today? Yeah, Here he goes. Got, he's back. He's back. Uh, yeah, I've got, um, I don't know if you guys are fans of Rage Against the Machine, but I've got a little killing segment. in the name of hits of 1994 or something like that. Yeah, it's legit. Um, so I've got a little segment based on uh, Tom Morello, who's the lead guitarist of, of Rage. So that should be kind of, and Audio Slave. And profits of nice. rage, uh, and the Watchmen. But anyway, it should be. It might be kind of fun. We'll see. Bill was so offended that he completely shut down, and now he's back. You cool off, mate? What's happened? <laughs> I don't know what happened. The uh, I guess the interwebs knocked me off. But now I'm good. Can't catch a break. No, not really. I'm going to talk about uh, you know just sort of what's going on in the the portfolio, the slaughter under the market, under the big names. Uh, just seems like a lot of different things have gotten taken to the woodshed. Some some really crappy companies, some less crappy companies, some things I just don't frankly understand at all. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I, I I have noticed that too. It's, but for me, fortunately, for the first time in like recorded history, it's actually shown up in my shorts. I've just been like looking at the shorts every day, and what is going on here? They're getting, huh. they're getting, uh, they're going in the right direction for me. They're going down. Yeah. So what what do you think the what's the what's the theme? What's the thesis? What's what's happening? I don't. I mean, I think that there's a couple buckets of things that I would put, um, like a, a couple buckets I would put things into. You have like. Things like IAC, which is clearly a quality company based on its historical record, um, you know, probably got a little bit ahead of itself, right? And then reported, um, you know, I saw the funny quote. Uh, they said uh, at Angie's, everybody's trying to, or what? What did they say? They said with home repair, people say that it takes twice as long and costs twice as much. And ironically at Angie's list, we're, tra- we're finding that it's taking us twice as long and costing twice as much to like, you know, Roll create out, this yeah. transition. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I mean, Vimeo when it spun, I never really understood why it spun where it spun. So I, I think there's like some of that stuff that's valuation burn off, uh, which I think is, is healthy. Right. Um, and then there's some other things that, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I can't stop looking at media right now. Cause I'm trying to figure out if there's some huge blind spot that I have on, on curate specifically, but whether or not it's the whole group that I'm missing or whatever, um, you know, to some of the, like, I mean, you know, curate can't catch a bid right now. And, uh, it's kind of ironic cause the lower it goes, the more I like it, uh, long-term. It's part of the thesis. Uh, 
But then there's just like a lot of things that are small. I think, you know, some of the SPACs that came out and missed, you know, they guided and then all of a sudden they miss, uh, whether it's catapult or, you know, OpFi missed, but I think OpFi's miss is quite a bit less catastrophic than catapults. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's just, I, I think, uh, liquidity is confidence and liquidity is gone in some of these names. Now with that valuations decline. Yeah. I, I, there was a, there was a, after value sort of found its feet six or 12 months ago, and then it made it through to Q, pretty strong into Q2. And then Q2 was, was uh, no bueno for value. It's one of the worst kind of little short-term uh, reversals in, you know, whatever, like 10 or 20 years or something like that. And that hurt me. And then since then, I don't know when it happened, about a month ago, it sort of seemed to start rallying again. But it didn't, it didn't really seem to help the, uh, the smalls much. So I don't know. I like. I'm a little bit baffled by what's going on. I'm not used to seeing. Well, I'm not used to seeing my shorts work so well. That's one thing. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think some of it is that stuff just got nutty. I mean, I'm looking at Fastly right now, and that's at 40 bucks a share. It topped out at 120. Um, <clears throat> I think that that was a pretty insane valuation, according to most people that know anything about that business. Um, but I, I don't know, man. It's weird. What do you think, JT? What do you got? I don't really have much intelligent to say about this. I mean, with the way I do things, this still feels a little bit just like kind of short-term noise, but who knows? We'll see. Does your portfolio feel better or worse over the last month? I haven't really noticed it, to tell you the truth. One way or the other. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. I actually, I was saying to my buddies, like I've gotten the shit kicked out of me this month and it's probably the most comfortable I've ever been as an investor, hmm. which is probably either a sign either that terrific I terrific or totally dangerous. One of the yeah, things. that's right. Like I am either about to get completely waxed and in 12 months be like, well, folks, uh, that was the <laughs> sign and there goes my record or here's my, like, I actually kind of know what I'm doing finally. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. We'll all find out together. This been story arc. <laughs> yeah. Who the it's fuck ongoing. knows? I went back to value. Maybe I get my ass kicked for it. Yeah. Yeah. Got it's that value supposed to be. Sorry. I'm really hung up on this hype man thing. Uh, what about China stocks? They've been absolutely destroyed talk to since, that, since that change in the uh, regulatory regime there. Do you guys, have you followed that closely enough? Do you sort of know what's going on there? Bill, I'll just I'll defer to your wisdom. Uh, I don't know. All I want to do is make smart ass comments like China, do China, it. China. Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> you need like, a button. No, like you know, yeah, I do. That's exactly what I need. Like, I, I mean, I think it's I, I like. Um, hey, uh, Jake, if you can turn your volume up, uh, I have noticed it's a little quiet too. Somebody just said that. Um, I, I, Baba is going to be really interesting to watch because. It's basically the Mungerites and everyone that's followed them into it. And it's going to be kind of fun to watch how that all plays out. Gun to I my head, I'd be long them. I mean, yeah, I really I think, would. I think Barber's cheap. I mean, not, not cheap. I think that if you look at Barber over the last five years, this is the best opportunity you've had to buy it in five something years in terms of, I think it's like where it was five years ago. And it's on a valuation basis, it's considerably cheaper. And if, I mean, you dude. Know, it, it, Everybody's just going to say to you, how do you say it's cheap? You can't trust the numbers. You can't trust China. They don't value property rights. Like that's, that's what people are going to say back to you. Right. I understand, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to get to that in a moment. I was just saying that, you know, the business to me, the company to me looks cheap given that, you know, the rates at which it's growing, the scale that it's got to the businesses that it's got in there, the returns and equity that's generating. If you can trust those numbers, it looks pretty impressive. The, the wrinkle to it is just like the you got to get comfortable with the political uh, atmosphere there. Uh, I don't know I'd how you handicap just uh, from a high level. I'd I'd rather have ten cents business than Alibaba's. I'd be more inclined to kind of take a basket approach and buy yeah. a few of those things. But yeah, I, 
you, you're either going to be, you know, it's already, you, you're either, it's so beaten up that on a valuation basis, it makes complete sense. The question is, does it fall apart for political reasons? And I don't know. I think you're almost getting the odds to take the bet here, aren't you? I don't know. Bears smarter than me say don't do it, but uh, my For body says it probably what? makes sense. I because I think that they're you're. I mean, I think you're probably like. What part of your body? All of it. The parts that matter. Um. I. I mean, I don't. I don't own it because I don't know it very well. But I. Um. I do think that a basket tech approach on Chinese tech over the next ten years does pretty damn well. It's exactly the type of thing that I tend to look for. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're all frauds and the Chinese government fucks everybody. That's. I don't think they're frauds. Yeah, yeah I think some... people that have said that have been wrong for a long time. I feel you know, like, and like a lot of the conversations are very reductionist thinking and that there's much more nuance to all of this and it's, it's more complicated. Uh, and I think painting in broad strokes, like, like you see most of the, the conversations, uh, I don't think it's very helpful actually. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, transitioning any society from agrarian to, you know, sort of the modern world is going to be messy. There's going to be a lot of, uh, omelets made and eggs broken. Uh, I mean, it's not like the U S if you looked at us from 1800 to 1900, which might be somewhat of a comparable, overlapping time frame. I don't know. Like these are, I think they're much more compressed now, but um, do you mean you know, to tell me that property rights said, issues we had, do you mean to tell me that if somebody had said they, they actually have slaves, it's uninvestable, that it would have been a bad decision not to buy us stocks at that time. Uh, I just mean that the process of organizing an economy can be very messy and take a long time to really for us to all agree to the stories that this is how we're going to operate going forward which creates this sort of web of trust um, that just takes, it can take a lot of time and it can be messy to get there. And, you know, maybe China is getting there faster in some ways. And I don't, maybe they're not going exactly the same place the U S ended up. I don't know, but I think it's, I think there's a lot more to this and it's much more multifaceted than just purely like can't trust Chinese government fraud, uh, you know, at these companies uh, or Chinese government whacking tech companies. I mean, I don't know. You think about the US and, you know, if you have kind of stayed up on it, which I think most citizens have largely, or at least the people probably listening to this, they would say like, wow, the news headlines are so uh, <laughs> dumbed down and so uh, one-sided and, and don't really show any nuance about the situations that you kind of know something about, right? And I think the same thing is happening there as well, where it's like, there's a lot more nuance happening and we just, you get a headline and it's like, oh, you would just, uh, you know, make it this blanket kind of statement. And then I think you sort of lose touch with the reality a little bit when you do that. Just like if you were to only read the headlines of the newspapers here, I think you might be a little divorced from reality. What's the Michael Crichton line where he says you read the newspaper and they get the, they get the, um, cause and effect inverted like wet wet streets cause rain is his example of it i think and then what's the name for it what's the i, I want to say dunning kruger but that's not right uh, i can't help you Murray gelman i think is the that's it yes yeah, he's yes, smart he's smart <laughs> yeah Murray gelman, i'm done with that that's the last one i like them i think they're fun <laughs> i well, i i like jt's take we've talked about this a little bit before too so I kind of knew where he was going to go with that, but the the uh, the the one of the problems with investing is that all of the nuance and so on gets you to this point where ultimately you got to decide whether you buy it or not, and so it's kind of an it's not a particularly nuance. I guess you can size it differently, right? You just decide. That's probably the answer. Just take a little bit, but I think that that if the numbers are real, and I don't know why they're not, there's some red flags in there. There's lots of websites that you can go to that do a pretty good job of picking apart Barber. Um, but if you can trust those numbers, then like it's a spectacular company, and there are there are analogs for it in the in the in the West as well. So that it's not entirely impossible that what they're doing isn't real. I mean, I, th- I think it's probably 
I'm, I'm leaning more towards it being a reasonably accurate reflection of what's going on in that business. And then the question is, it's a regulatory risk question. You've got regulatory risk everywhere in the world. You've got regulatory risk in the States. Yeah, you have, you have economic reality and accounting numbers that often diverge in, in any system. I mean, the measurement can be just off. I mean, it's, we're, we're, all, we're just using conventions to try to approximate reality. Now, how accurate it is or not is sort of a, is a nuanced question, which, you know, if you, eventually there's a price where I think you're compensated for the potential risk, kind of no matter what it is. To be yeah. fair, I do think like, uh, you know, the documentary, the China, the China hustle or whatever, that that's like worth somebody watching. I mean, those, there were a lot of like actual true frauds, but I mean, the probability that Tencent is a fraud I think when you talk to anybody that's been over there and talks about how often uh, WeChat is used and like how it's a super app, and then you think about what the economics of apps here are, I, I mean, I don't know that it's a fraud. It may not be quite as profitable as people think, but um, to Toby's point, like you're not quite paying the rosiest outlook for it either. Right. But I don't know. I mean, I, you know. May not work. I'm sure if it doesn't, the people that are bearish right now will be too certain that they were right. And if it does work, they'll add it back and say, well, it's a fraud for the next five years. I would say that if we're going to be counting macro kind of concerns and trends and things like that, um, just as much in the positive column for China is, you know, 400-ish million people live in cities today that sort of resemble a Western lifestyle. There's another billion-ish behind them that may be coming and want to do something similar. Um, that's that's a pretty big-ass tailwind, uh, potentially, for an economy. So, I mean, those you could almost say that the regulatory risk and all these other kind of fraud things could be theoretically macro-balanced out a little bit with just the just demographics. I mean, somebody, you know, Jeff Nolan is saying that we're being blasé about the risks in China and other EMs. I mean, I, I think the market is insanely blase about the risks at home. Like, I think political risk everywhere is mispriced. So, I, like, what are I you going to do? Like, I don't know. That's the thing. You live one world, one, one, these are the cards. So, you know, I could run around and stick my head in every single sand pile that there is. Or we can talk about what, a, you know, what risk. You've got to handicap them, right? You just got to, yeah. it's the whole thing is a handicapping job. We've got imperfect information. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We're looking at different regulatory regimes. We've got a regulatory regime here. I mean, Google is currently under, uh, I don't want to, I don't know what the exact word is. I don't want to say indictment, but but Google is being, uh, its search is, is, is confronting antitrust. It's going to go through that process. It's next year, I think, as it all kicks off. They fired last year. You know, I don't know what the outcome of that is. I think that if you look at Microsoft, the outcome's not going to be too bad. But the um, the US has had antitrust action against Microsoft too in the early two thousands, and there was antitrust action against uh, Marbell in the uh, in the eighties. Standard Oil is kind of the classic. Standard Oil is the original. Example. They still yeah, went okay. I'm OG. talking about like even at a systemic issue. Like, forget about an individual company. Like I, I just, um, I don't know. This is why I'm crypto curious. Like I kind of <laughs> understand those guys saying that they want to hedge from, you know, the system. Like I really do get it whether or not, you know, Bitcoin's the answer or whether or not gold is the answer. Like I'm fine debating that, but I, I do understand the role in the portfolio. I get that. I I've got a podcast up at the moment where I chatted to Jamie, uh, Powell, who's the FT Alphaville yeah. reporter. And he, uh, he was close to the wire card fraud when that sort of unraveled. And so I saw somebody mention that in the, in the notes. He, um, you know, that was pretty scary. Like the, 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 the German regulator, when they were reporting on, like it's the FT, it's not like it's, not like it's some little pump and dump or, you know, activist short somewhere. It's the FT. And they're reporting on these problems. And the German financial regulator, opens a criminal investigation, not into Wirecard, but into the FT. Like, how do you figure that one? Don't you want to have a look? Of power. Yeah, well, that's it. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, I don't, you know, 
that's i i have um i have like a lot of conflicting feelings about uh some of like the short reports that come out and what i see um but ultimately i think that where i where i have settled on it is long reports can say whatever the hell they want and no one complains and then you get some legitimate complaint about a short report and you get regulators looking at you um you know there's a place in the world for for quality short information having said that though i do i have seen over the years now enough I mean, I used to think that, I've, and I've made this argument before, that shorts are often, they got the smartest position because they got the most to lose. They're at risk. It's a levered position. You need some catalyst to occur, and they're trying to be that catalyst often by releasing these reports. But I've seen enough short reports now where, you know, I, I know the company pretty well, and the short report is just it's spectacular, and it's from a very big hedge fund, and I just think it's wrong. And so I'm a little bit more cynical about some of the short reports now that I do think they use it as a, but then again, having said that, when they when they this is not the ones where they're uncovering fraud. This is ones where they're just sort of that they they're, they're commenting on the this, the nature of the business or it being overvalued or something like that. But when they uncover fraud, I mean that's a very serious allegation. And yeah, it's worth having a close look at it when they when they say that. I mean that they were dead right on uh, on Nicola. Yeah. I just, I, I think that, um, it would be same with longs. I think it would really benefit everybody. If you said, this is the percentage of my portfolio that I'm long or short. Uh, and you know, I know that people don't want to do it, but like I debate Twitter back and forth with people all the time. It's a super tiny position for me at this point. Like it doesn't fucking matter. I just enjoy talking about it because it's controversial. Um, but uh, those disclosures are funny that the, they make the reporters that the, they make people on CNBC make. Like my, I own it, my family owns it, uh, but they often like to, to establish independence. I don't own it, but I'm I'm advising everybody else to go buy it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I'm just not sure that I like it, it. I'm not sure the incentives are as aligned if you don't own something or if you're not actually yeah. short something or like, you know, I just think we got to talk about what the real business is here. Having said that, if somebody's got 70% of their portfolio in it and they're, they're telling everybody why they're long, like, I get a little bit nervous about that too. Well, that's fine though. At least that's honest. I don't, I mean, I'm, no one's saying that you need to trust the words that are coming out of people's mouths, but at least the guy that's 70% long, if it's like truly long and he doesn't have a lot of other income coming in from other sources, like if he's <laughs> wrong, he's fucked. It's like you- Mike on the lumber thing. When people accused him of a pump and dump, like this one idiot commenter in our, in our comments, like just that one dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, that dude stands to lose the most. Like it's not a pump and dump. He's in it now. You can you know, listen to his reasoning there, right? Like, that's the right. Reasoning whether or not you sound. agree with it's fine. And the you, reason I mean, sound. you can disagree. Don't bet it because he's betting it. That's crazy. He's just sharing how he looks at something. But um, to me, like that's a real position. Uh, that's not you know someone that's no halfway crook stuff. That's like his chips are down. Well, non gaps no- in the house. What's up, non gap? What's there's, up, Mike? Hey, no- what's up, non gap? There's no opinion that you can read that is a substitute for doing your own work yeah that's right and your work should include the non-gap substack because that dude writes some really cool stuff yeah i learned some stuff from mike thanks for that uh, the the uh the, the proxies are uh, a little bit easier to read now yeah jt so, you want yeah you want to have, have a go with your uh with your veg- so I saw somebody in the comments said what's what's veggies so veggies I don't know if that is that only an Australian thing just to call vegetables veggies or is that a no that's US too. no that's a that's a human thing Toby I never know mate I've I've been I've been here for so long I forget which things are which things are local and which things are imported domestic foreign yeah so veggies so you got to eat your veggies if you're going to get some dessert so JT's JT's veggies. <laughs> Well, this is more dessert like this because we're talking about music today. So that's this isn't going to be, you know, sperm whales or or <laughs> mathematics or anything. So maybe maybe it's more fun, but you're probably going to learn less also. So just fair, fair warning. <laughs> so uh, shout out to my one of my main homies, Kyle, who bought me a subscription to Masterclass for my birthday. So 
I'm, I'm in there in the masterclass and I'm Tom Morello has a whole thing about guitar in masterclass. And, um, it's really good. Cause he's got all these interesting stories of, you know, how he came up and, you know, stories from the road and talking, he goes through every single piece of equipment that he uses and how he plays it. Anyway, if you don't know, Tom Morello is the lead guitarist of rage against the machine and audio slave primarily uh, is what he'd be known for. Um, so just to rewind a little bit on him, um, you know, his father was actually Kenya's first UN ambassador. Uh, and, and I think like his great uncle or something was the first president of Kenya. But he, uh, he graduated from Harvard with a, a BA in social studies. And while he was, he, then he moved to LA. Pre the band? Pre the band? Pre the band, yeah. Um, then, and interestingly enough, uh, in high school, he, he had a friend, this guy named Adam Jones and Adam came out to LA with him and, and, uh, Tom introduced Adam Jones to, uh, Danny Carey and Maynard James Keenan's. And I don't know if you know what band they went on to form these three guys, somebody in this, I'm sure in the comments will get it, but it's tool. Um, Ooh. so pretty legit band. Uh, anyway, so this is like, uh, one of Tom's best friends basically is the lead guitarist in, in tool, but all right. So. Let's rewind a little bit. It's 1988, uh, pre Rage Against the Machine. He's in LA and uh, he's about to record a demo with his his other his one of his first bands, and uh, all his gear gets stolen out of the back of his van. And he's like, "Ah, oh, shit! You know what am I gonna do now?" <laughs> and he only had a couple days and like basically like no money to replace it. He goes into like a local little music shop and like they only have a uh, a PV cabinet, which like is a like sort of an amp and then like a, a Marshall head, uh, which isn't a bad piece of equipment, but, but he was so embarrassed by the PV part. Cause it's like, no one should be caught dead playing one of these is a real musician. He like tears off the little nameplate on the PV amp. Um, and then he, uh, he ended up liking the sound so much that even after, you know, he could afford to get all this other stuff, he kept playing this, this stack and, like all the recordings of Audio Slave, Rage Against the Machine, for the most part, are through this very, very cheap setup. And all of his guitars are, most of them are like really cheap ones that he's just like bought and kind of like tinkered around with and uh, replaced a lot of the, the guts of them. But all of which is to say that you don't have to have all of the most trick shit to get, you know, the best sound. And, and his setup is actually relatively straightforward, like the amount of equipment that he uses and yet somehow he's able to get some of the craziest sounds out of that. Like his creativity is just off the charts when it comes into getting random ass sounds out of a guitar setup. He has like, he actually has a little noise chart that he shows you in this masterclass. And so there's, he has uh, what is called like the feedback toggle. He figured out that like, if he sort of like moves the, the toggle on the guitar, turning it on and off while like messing around with it, he can get this like, like almost like a rhythmic, like drumming sound out of it. And then he, he takes like the guitar jack out. Like, so it's not even plugged in. And then he's like banging the guitar jack to get like a rhythm with that. Um, you know, he's pretty famous for scratching. Like he's figured out how to scratch using the, the, uh, the strings to sound like a guy, you know, like, you know, like that kind of sound with the, the record. Um, he could make it like sound like a helicopter, like a, like a monkeys at a zoo. I mean, like it's just or bagpipes, uh, you know, an air raid siren, all kinds of crazy stuff that he's able to get out of this super cheap, nothing special stack. Uh, so perhaps what is, I think maybe the most, what helpful for maybe trying to land this back to an investment context is that he goes into a bunch about his practice regime and what does he do? What does he work on? And he breaks it up into four blocks and the way that he first started getting good, like he, he says that he came to the guitar relatively late. Like I think he was 17 years old before he even really picked up a guitar. And he, uh, he said like I, I, he has zero natural ability when it comes to it. It was all just pure hard work, grinding practice that got him to where he was, uh, which is a little encouraging, I guess, for us schlubs that are <laughs> trying to, trying to play things or learn things. But um, so the first block is, he just works purely on technique. And so, oh, so I should say like, how much time did he spend? He had a friend tell him when he was 17, if you spend one hour a day, really dedicated working on this and don't like never miss a day that you will be capable of, of great things. And 
he took that really to heart. And he, instead of like, it's very common and I'm guilty of this as well, where it's like, Oh, you don't play at all for a week. And then you try to play for like three hours on the weekend. Cause you have some time and then you go back and you know, it's another week before you play. It's, it's really hard to make progress like that. And I think it don't, it doesn't match very well, probably with how your brain wires, like learning things. Um, so this just consistent, never miss a day kind of practice, which, um, so block one of the time that he spends is on technique. And what that means is like actually like playing scales just over and over again, um, just finger, getting your fingers to move where you want them to go, translating what you have in your mind into your, making your fingers do it. Um, you know, it's boring. It's, it's solitary. It's, uh, you know, it, the other thing he says is like move very slowly and perfectly and then eventually speed comes. So like everybody wants to be a shredder and just like, you know, hop in there and, and like, you know, look like Eddie Van Halen, but, but the, the trick is you have to move slowly and perfectly. And then eventually the speed will come and it'll be actually clean instead of like very sloppy. Um, block two of time he spent on musical theory. So he'd read books on, you know, why does it like the mathematics of, of music. Like why is a certain scale sound right to us? Um, you know, what's the progression of chords? Like, so it's all musical theory. And that really tells you where you can go with the guitar and why, why would you want to go play that next note? Um, and it really serves to broaden your horizons of kind of what you're, what's capable, um, from a theoretical standpoint. Block three is songwriting. He calls it, which is bringing the technique and the theory together and like actually sort of doing the real work at that point, um, practicing songs, a little bit of experimentation, um, and, and really like honing your craft in a uh, little bit more holistic way than just purely scales and theory. And then the, the last block is he calls improvisation. And like, that should be the most fun part, which is, you know, you're jamming, you're, you know, maybe jamming with a friend or you, he, he said he would just put the radio on and they would randomly change the channel and then try to play along with like that song and just get like into that song and then move to the next one, uh, which just helped him to integrate. Uh, so, all right. From an investing standpoint, let's see if we can sort of like back into some of his practice routines that will maybe be helpful for us if we're trying to get mastery of the investment process. So the first one is that working on your technique. And to me, that's like, you know, it's the boring stuff. It's the blocking and tackling, studying accounting, learning business models, uh, maybe reading financial history. Uh, it's, it's the little stuff like that. Um, theory part block would be, you know, investment philosophy, maybe some stoicism might fit in there. Um, <laughs> you know, like really trying to work on the head game part of it. Uh, and, and, and being like theoretically sound, like I think probably Howard Marks type of writing is, is some of the best when it comes to investment theory and just sort of how to think about it in a bigger context. Uh, block three is the songwriting part, like actually doing the work. This is in being in the 10 K's and 10 Q's and, and working on the, uh, you know, sort of actually not just sharpening the saw, but actually cutting some wood there. Um, block four is the fun part of the improvisation, the jamming, like that's maybe talking to your friends about investment ideas or, uh, reading more widely to see if you could pull in random shit and turn it into an investment context. Um, and like really opening up the aperture wide so that you have a lot, like maybe you're able to make connections that you previously couldn't because you're, you're really, uh, open, like, or maybe even like reversing to use the, like playing along with the radio, maybe looking at a 13 F and trying to reverse engineer. Why do they own something? Right. That's almost like sort of joining someone else's band while they're playing on the radio. Uh, and you try to figure out if you can play along with that song. So maybe not all that helpful in the investment context, but just fun to fun to talk about Tom and uh, his practice routine and some of his stories. How much of that do you do explicitly? How much of that uh, four quadrants do you do? Or would, or would you do from now? I'm pretty cognizant of it. Uh, I've kind of always had, I didn't break it up exactly like that, but I did break it up in um, accounting, doing the actual work, history, um, less and less actually investment books because they kind of all start saying the same things over and over again. Um, but I, I'm, I'm relative, I think I've done a pretty good job on that front. I've been pretty mindful of it for a long time, so... I don't know. How about you guys? Are you purposefully abstracting beyond investment books now? Is that, I mean, the, the veggies is as, as a result of reading outside of. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
it's it's on purpose but it's also fun and it's may or may not be as helpful as i hope it would be but it's you know it's i don't know at some point you kind of have to enjoy what you're doing also to keep coming back right well i got my i got my piano just below us here i got my uh not piano the um whatever this thing so we'll jam next time for everybody i can't Keyboard. sing it'll have to be bill's gonna be the uh the hype man <laughs> yeah no I'm, man, yeah. i'll make some uh some hype hype sounds but i won't sing uh i i do a lot of that i actually i was taking notes as you were uh saying this i um jim o'shaughnessy has been encouraging me to do things by hand and i since i have started um i actually think that i'm getting a lot better results what do you uh, mean by hand i mean with a pen and with paper by rather hand. than typing it into a computer. Yeah, right. Or like rather now I, I still, I use Canalyst and I really like them, but um, like there's something about having to write stuff that I think I'm, a, I, I'm paying closer attention to the details. Mm. Uh, it's objectively much slower, but I think that the quality of my looks is improving a fair amount. And I think, you know, like, uh, I agree that uh, some of the, the theory would be like reading, uh, reading history or whatever. I f- for the improv, I actually I kind of got to the place of you know maybe it's looking at uh, somebody else's. I, I like Jake's thirteen F, but I, I was thinking like almost using what you're what like I would like to study, and then applying it to some of these businesses that I think are insane, and just trying to figure out like what people might be thinking there. Like, I think that's kind of the fun exercise to do to kind of decode how that, how that's all working. Um, but I like that segment. What have you learned from decoding? Have you decoded any and and found like the, the cipher and said, oh yeah, this is, this is actually really cheap, even though it's optically expensive. I mean, it's the reason that I've owned Fang for like the last three years was getting curious about it. Uh, rather than, you know, saying this is absurd, uh, I just kind of started to pay attention and I, you know, I mean, I think Transdime, the only reason that I was able to get comfortable with that was I, you know, I was in the airlines, but I paid attention to the stuff around it. I paid attention to people that talked about quality businesses and I paid attention to why they were able to, to lever like it was, um, I was, you know, I just kind of needed the chance to shoot the shot, um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think my entire 2020 is attributable to trying to decode what people have been saying to me for three years and it just kind of worked out at the right time, but I don't know. I might just be a one trick pony. Well, that's kind of what Tom was saying actually was that he felt like he was just like working and working and not really getting any better or he was getting better, but he couldn't, he couldn't see it himself because it was such small incremental progress but then he actually went back, uh, like I think after his sophomore year in college. And at that point he was, he was playing like four hours a day, every single day. Uh, and he got like, he wouldn't miss it. Like he said, like, I would, I'd be sick. And I had a test the next day and I would play from like midnight to 4.00 AM, not, Oof. not three fifty-eight AM, 4.00 AM. Like I'm getting my four hours in, um, huh. anyway, but he said he went back from back home from college and like, everyone was like, blown away at how good he had gotten and he just kind of couldn't see it because he was in the middle of it well i don't think i'm that good but i i appreciate somehow being connected to that story it's harder with investing because you don't get the immediate feedback you get feedback over years later so that's why i'm an advocate for writing down what you do yeah so you can go back and look at what you did and see how you were thinking at the time and see what thought processes were right and what thought processes were wrong, which you're focusing on that was right and what was wrong. Well, that's the other, Jim also has been talking to me about journaling. I, I think there's something, there's something uh, to me about a pen and paper that's different than just typing. I think there's some connection that I have with, I don't know, the feeling or whatever. When I read my own handwriting, it's like, well, somebody else definitely didn't write that. Like that's me, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Who is this I idiot? I like that stuff. That. <laughs> yeah. I need to do it more frequently, but I'm doing it more frequently than I ever have. I always handwrite notes if I have to speak from them because otherwise it just doesn't go in. Huh. Yeah. So why not, you know, do work that way too? Because I think it does go deeper into your head. 
It's obviously not fast and fast is what everybody covets these days. So, you know, there's that. I want to be able to capture them and search them properly. Has anybody got any good solutions for that? What, your notes? Yeah. I use Rome. I mean, that's what I was just taking notes in. It's pretty good. I don't know that it's like as good as people. Maybe I don't use it, right? Can you handwrite in Rome or is it you got to type it in? No. Yeah, you got to type it. You could probably write on an iPad and then put it into Rome, but I don't think that's the same. Kind of recognize, I mean, I, I can barely read my own writing. My, my writing's indecipherable to anybody else. Can, can the... Uh... I don't think we're that far off from having that OCR in as a very easy like plug-in for any, any program. So I don't, I don't think, I think that, I think the handwriting to digital translation will be solved pretty, pretty easily. One note. Thanks. SC358. Ah, good old SC. Notepad plus. Uh, private Twitter. Oh, <laughs> Mike's, Mike's non-gap's got a private Twitter. I need in his private Twitter. That's a shame. Now I feel like I'm left out. We're out here plugging him and he's not even, we're not even in his private Twitter. I think it's, I think it's for Mike only. I think you might be the only one in there. Oh, I don't know that I want to see inside that one. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) That dumpster fire. Yeah. Uh, Throw your questions in folks. And um... I do think like uh, the, the process of taking on water in the portfolio and how you react, I, I, like I wrote yesterday that I thought it builds character. I really do mean it. Like it's very easy to do well when you're doing well. It's much harder to be mentally sane when you're not. If you know the like you, position and curate, does that bother you going against you? No, I want it to. Yeah. I mean, if this thing goes down 20 more percent, this is just going to get stupid. So do it. I don't care. All the shorts. Who's that guy? Melvin Capital. Short the shit out of this thing, man. Go ham. You can get paid this quarter. I'll get paid later. Yeah. Different time horizons. If, if I'm right. I mean, that's the big if. And I, and I would be lying if I didn't say that, um, you know, the, some of the stock reaction has got me questioning whether or not I'm right. I mean, that I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And we'll, we'll see. But uh, I think if you, if you, when I laid the bet with Austin, my dream scenario was that it stayed cheap enough for, the, for Greg Maffei to do something. I mean, this is it. There's a couple of good questions in here. Uh, first one is, um, so this is something we've sort of talked about a little bit, the, the dangers of posting small cap stock ideas on FinTwit. Um, what are the advantages of putting stuff out there? Well, I mean, my two cents is I don't think there is much of a danger uh, unless, I mean, look, if you're like, if you found this small cap that is insanely liquid and your write-up is really good, then I hope you built your position before you put your write-up out because you may never get a shot to buy it at the valuation it's at now. Um, You know, as far as like people reading it and buying it. Um, I just, I, I feel a lot of pressure to not have people uh, listen to me, but I think at this part, uh, at this point, like if you're listening to me, you're the idiot. Cause I am pretty clearly honest about maybe not knowing anything. And I constantly say it's not investment advice and I don't run any outside capital. So like, it's kind of on you. I get the benefit of being able to talk about things and I get a lot of inbounds. Like there was a dude the other day that posted crazy insightful stuff on a, on a trans dime acquisition uh, target. I never would have had that. If I didn't talk about trans dime ever, that guy wouldn't have tagged me. And I'm really glad that I got that information that came back to me. I, I operate from a put good stuff into the world and hope it comes back to you. And I, I have not had that assumption negated since I started to go positive and go first to go back to last week. Call back. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh shit. He's pretty good. He's on fire today. (laughs) I think this is a, it's kind of a bigger question of, I mean, you want to engender an outside view, right? Because it's very easy to fool yourself. 
So you need to have outside view uh, and base rates, things like that to help you. Uh, however, it's also easy to get too much outside view, which turns into cacophony um, at, at maybe best uh, and at worst, just like an avalanche of sort of groupthink uh, that would scare you off of your perhaps variant perception that might actually be right. Uh, so it's really hard to open up the, the floodgate just enough to get the right amount of outside view and not potentially uh, get an injurious amount of outside view. Yeah, I think you need to be careful about curating who you listen to because the, you run the risk that <laughs> Fintwit, yeah. Fintwit uh, can be the market, but there are clearly some people in Fintwit who are uh, thinking, who are generating variant perceptions and you want to be able to follow those guys and ignore the market for the most part. And I, I've sort and of all the guys. How do you tell those apart? Is it some of them have laser eyes or not? Is that? <laughs> I just think you look at accounts over a long period of time and work out like what the the process is for for examining positions. You know, I, I like the accounts that are like you know why don't you own X because they own it and they they just want to know like what's the what's the worst case scenario? What am I missing? You've, yeah. reached the, you've reached the pinnacle of kind of analysis, I think, when you're just like, why don't you own X? Just explain it to me. Like, I'm not going to change my mind, but maybe I'm missing something. Tell me what I'm missing. Yeah, I, th I think you can learn a lot from watching people over time and how they run their strategy. Like, um, I don't know. There's a number of accounts that do stuff that I admire. And you just, you know, you kind of watch how they behave over time. And, yeah, I don't I mean, I have separate lists. I'd like, I, I wish that I could have like, I mean, I could have burners, but I'm not trying to like segregate everything in that way. But I, a lot of the, a lot of the best stuff that I have received is not from people in finance. It's from people that work in industries or customers of companies that have contacted me that, you know, I mean, Mike and I, when he was diligencing lumber, like we're on the phone with a guy that operates a mill. Like the only reason that guy reaches out is because we're talking publicly about, you know, an idea. And then he reached out to me and then I said, can Mike join? And then we're on a call. And that's like, I mean, that's real diligence. That's not uh, listening to what somebody says about being long lumber. Like, I don't really give a shit. What's the most important lesson you've learned over the last two years? That I don't know anything. I, I don't say that joking. I really don't. I mean, I, I don't see how anyone can have any confidence after the pandemic. Like what? You, you underwrote that? Okay. I guess uh, my answer would be a more healthy appreciation for the phrase that this too shall pass. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't really had a chance to reflect on the last two years yet, but I think that the cycles are much, much longer than than I had appreciated. It just takes a long time. You just got to be more patient than you can possibly imagine. And uh, eventually, it's, it's, I think... It's its own reward, Toby. So say that again. Is patience its own reward? Uh, I don't think so. I like to get paid. <laughs> Uh, thoughts on processes, potential exposure to Tencent. Uh, you know, the, the, I, you do get a discount if you buy through uh, the South African entities. Um, but you, now you're buying through another entity too, which has got another layer of management, which is going to make other decisions. And you're going through another stock exchange. Uh, I'm, I, as I have progressed as an investor, I've become less and less interested in really funky expressions of investments and probably just, if you want the exposure, just get the exposure directly. It's kind of my two cents, but you know, maybe a little bit of both if you feel strongly about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of the same way. It is hard to imagine you could get much more disintermediated <laughs> at this point. Chinese company looked through owns a bunch of other companies inside of it that you're sort of betting on. Uh, 
looked like all filtered through the CCP, look through a South African company, like Jesus, how much more can we get away from the actual like transaction that's happening on the ground of like a, a merchant using WeChat? <laughs> yeah. It probably always trades at a little discount. That's been my observation of these things that there's there's a discount for costs, there's a discount for you know management's arbitrariness. You, you probably do get a discount when you buy. You probably always have that discount in it. Sure, it's reverse control premium. What inning are we in? Inning <laughs> update, Bill. We haven't done that for a little while. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff has gotten slaughtered. I don't. Do, I don't. Yeah. Think do you think that like makes that. us go backwards a little bit? Are we? Are we kind yeah, of? Yeah. Like, I mean, we'd, a lot of prices have corrected. There's some interesting stuff out there. I agree. Yeah. So that moves us back to further in the game or on the next game. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the game ended, and maybe another game starts. It's weird, right? That the 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 market is optically expensive. Like all of those long term measures are expensive, but I can find plenty of stuff to do. And then when I look at the, there's a lot of that index is going to be Fang, which is growing rapidly. I think uh, I'm going to blank on who said it, but there was a, you know, if you do Cape on on Cape, Cape doesn't make any sense on Fang, right? Because they've all grown so much over the last ten years. And Fang's a big part of the index. It's possible that the index has uh, changed in composition so much that it's that Cape doesn't really make much sense for it. I don't know. Cape's only been around since 1996 too, and it's been expensive since it's been around. I don't know. I was being a little glib actually when I said that a new game started. That's that's we revealed the flaw in this analogy is, and that is that the game doesn't ever end here. So that's why talk of you know innings is actually probably not that helpful yeah i mean i think um i think a couple months ago it was you could feel how much like energy was in the market certainly like when lumber was going nuts and stuff like that there was a lot of speculative shit i think a lot of that's calmed down i i, I don't um i don't know we had we had speculative tech out of the out of the bottom of 2020 right and that was How like, going to be the top spacs are decimated a lot of the speculative stuff is decimated well we may, well here's, here's here's one possibility it's like a 2000 type scenario where tech and spacs uh, you know this is the the egregious i'm not talking about fang i'm talking about the the stuff that is priced like it's going to be fang without sort of demonstrating that it can get there yet a but lot like, of that stuff has come that? back a lot that's what I'm saying. Like that stuff, a lot of those companies have gotten hurt. Carvana. There's, yeah, but that, I mean, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a few. I don't know names. enough not, to. Not to call out names there. There's some smart guys who are along that too. So. Yeah. It's hard. But there's definitely, there's something, there is something going on underneath the hood of the market at the moment, right? As there always is. But it just feels to me like there, there has been some carnage in some stocks and it, I'm surprised that I just haven't seen as many people talking about it. Maybe everybody's just kind of quietly licking their wounds. That happens. Yeah, could be. So I like the how long till machine learning solves investing and all the money goes to one algorithm. That it will L. Farrell, yeah, that L. Farrell uh, uh, bar problem that uh, JT, another callback, raised uh, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. That's kind of. Uh, you, know, the, you, you you can sort of have a look at um, what that um, what that implies for machine learning. Everybody's machine learning through the same data set for one thing, so everybody's coming up with essentially the same conclusions, and then they're all going to be handicapping based on those conclusions. They're all going to go in the same direction. Maybe it's maybe it's time to be better to be discretionary in that kind of market. I don't know. Well, there I just of- think, there's actually a, a a good physics analogy here which actually I was thinking about doing a whole segment on, maybe I will next time, but I'll just give the quick version, but it's, it's called the third body problem in physics. And it's, you know, if you have two bodies that are, we can calculate exactly where they're going to go. The gravitational gravitational pull. Right. But you add a third body and literally we can't calculate it. Even if we know everything about it, Um, there's a chaos and a randomness to it. And so, to think that we couldn't, we could have three billion. So the, what the analogy that they use is 
take two billiard balls and they're next to each other and you have a billiard ball hit and it hits perfectly at the exact same time, both balls. We can't really say how much energy is transferred to, to each ball at that point. Um, if that is the case, why would you think that machine learning could know all the, basically like where every electron is in the business universe and be able to then calculate uh, what the next, you know, where is it gravitationally going to go? Um, it, I just don't think it's reasonable. I agree. Until humans stop participating, I don't think, I think there's always going to be stuff to exploit. What do you think about Munga's position in, in, in Baba? Is that, what, like, what, what, just what do you think about that? We've talked about this. I think Munger wanted to teach everybody that was, you know, a lesson. A, yeah, I think he did. I think he wanted to say, I've been saying forever that China had better companies than over here does. And this got cheap enough. And I talked to Li Lu and I'm comfortable and I'm buying this thing. And if you still have your head in the sand after this, then I can't teach you anymore. That's what I think Munger was saying when he bought it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, he said it publicly that you should be fishing where the fish are and where there's not a lot of really good fishermen all standing shoulder to shoulder trying to fish, uh, which kind of says, look outside the U.S. And perhaps China is a, an interesting place to be fishing. It feels like they got the timing on that wrong, though. Maybe it was just unforeseeable that the Chinese government was going to move like that on it. But Li Lu's got his ear pretty close to the ground there. It was at that sort of unforeseeable. Yeah, it was just unforeseeable. I mean, they got IBM wrong too. They swing and miss. This is a probabilistic game. That's fair. But I think it's it's way too early to say that Ch that Charlie's wrong on Baba. I don't think that he's. I, I mean, I, I I don't think that he's wrong. I think he's probably yeah. right. I'm just. He did not bottom ticket like he did the banks in 08. Yeah, and he doesn't have very many positions. Yeah, if he's, if he's right, that you can be more right than him today. Yeah. But also, like it's in the Daily Journal. What's that really matter to him? Like, what is the Daily Journal and his look through net worth? Zero. That's the answer. <laughs> it's it's a little. It, those guys don't play that game this way. They don't play that game this way. It's more of a statement than anything. Nah, nah. He's just seen some good. He's just seen good value, and he's gone after it. Okay. I've been it's like, where's where's my where's a pocket? There's a pocket. I'll I don't think there. he thinks he's going to lose. That's I mean, that's not my comment. I just kind of think like it's not that big of a bet. And it's just kind of a bet. Like if the if I bet if he was in a fund, I mean, I don't know. I guess I wonder how big he would have gone in out of the gate if he was in an LP. I, I'm certain he'd be buying more today if he well, had dry powder. A like of, uh you have a little bit of that. I mean, they're actually margined in that account some. So don't use leverage. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> it's it's cheap leverage. Be very concentrated, go. except in Berkshire, which is very diversified. Although That's it is right. concentrated, it's big positions, I guess. I guess. I this I, I have a problem with the way he markets his book positions. Manga? Yeah. I always have. You tell. He doesn't have three positions. He's got oh, look through yeah, exposure yeah, in yeah. a massive conglomerate. He's got Lee Lu's got more than one position, and Costco is a true one position. I, I don't think that. I think that um, I understand what he said, what he's saying when he says it. I think that if uneducated or new to investing people hear that and they truly think that's three positions, then they're they're not actually paying attention to what's going on. Perhaps it reveals how he thinks about this, which is I have a bet on Warren. I have a bet on Lee Lu. Yeah. And it's not that's a good point. The business necessarily. Yeah, I think that's fair. But that's like different, right? Than how most people associate a position. That's their fault, though. That's their fault for making that mistake. He's he's pretty clear. He's he's like demonstrating what he's doing. He's been doing it in public for a really long time. Yeah, I know. That's why he's smarter than Warren. He just found a genius and was like, I'm going to go chill. And you can call me whenever you want, but like Get you're on the that, one that's working. Designing that catamaran. That's right. P.S. Call up the Bentley dealership because I'm trying to roll deep. <laughs> and on that note, that's it, hey. folks. That was fun.
Warren's out there buying hail damaged Lincolns and Charlie's got the Bentley. <laughs> My man. Like we do it.